You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose speaks to Shravan Joshi, elected member of the City of London, in which they discuss the city and the wider financial district's net zero ambitions. Shravan, thanks for joining me. Um, Let's start with a, a basic thing about um, you know your your financial background. We're here in the heart of the city, and everyone thinks everyone's a banker, and and this is where it's all about. But there are various different jobs. What's your financial background, firstly? So my financial background is based around the energy sector. Uh, so it's around trade finance. It's around making projects happen. Um, it's about finding uh, financial solutions to realise um, projects in the field. It's making that real. And you're a member of the City of London. Yeah, so I'm an elected member in the City Corporation. Uh, I was elected a couple of years ago in Bishopsgate Ward, and uh, I sit on various different committees uh, at the corporation, uh, including things like policy and resources, planning and transport, uh, port health and environment, uh, loads of others, um, but all with a a view um, to looking after this as a local authority, but also in our promotion of financial services globally. And that's the interesting for, for the audience, you know, people who hear about the city, the square mile, but what actually is it? Because it's, it's actually, like you said, it's, it's sort of a council, isn't it, yeah. for, for, for this little area? Yeah, I mean, we have a local authority function. That's the core of what we do. Um, but there are a whole bunch of other uh, aspects to the city, um, from looking after charitable trusts. Uh, we have a lot of historical associations, um, lots of educational links. Uh, we have our own academies. Um, I think there are about 11 schools in total, as well as three independent schools that we we have under our control. Um, And this uh, remit to really uh, represent UK financial services around the world. And that's headed up by the Lord Mayor. Financial services has been an enormous success for this country, pretty much over the last 30 years, since the deregulation in the 80s, you know, the golden times, the yuppies. But moving forward, actually, the city has powered the UK economy. We are now entering a new revolution or a new time of change around the climate. What has been the city's reaction? You know, you had protests outside your door. You know, Extinction Rebellion were here in the city in the summer last year. The whole sort of narrative has been that kind of what goes on here is kind of seen as the polluters, the the, the evil side of things. And I think that's unfair. But how has the city reacted to this sudden, you know, new phase of scrutiny from, from climate activists? So I, th- I think there's two uh, aspects to what you've just uh, spoken about. One is the city corporation's own actions, if you like, and then I can talk about financial services more generically. Um, so c- city corporation, I mean, we've, been, we've taken climate and, and the environment seriously for a number of years now. This is not new. Um, I, I think it was in 2016 when we did the first experimental uh, closure of Bank Junction, just up the road from here. Um, Closed it off to traffic. Uh, We wanted to pedestrianise that area, make it cycle-friendly, and and have safety at its heart, actually. It was the highest casualty rate anywhere in the city was at Bank Junction. So so by by removing the the, uh, car traffic from Bank Junction, um, it gave us the opportunity to start measuring for the first time the effect of not having that pollutant on the streets. <clears throat> and really, from there, we've, we've expanded that programme. Um, we've had buy-in from most stakeholders um, to, to that programme of, of making the city 
uh, a cleaner air environment. Mm -hmm. um, we've got air quality legislation going through Westminster right now that we've driven, uh, which will give more power to local authorities everywhere to implement um, air quality standards. And you've got measuring devices, haven't you, in the city? Absolutely. We, we've taken we've taken um, climate action very seriously. So we have <coughs> we we got a very bad report a couple of years ago from the Sir John Cass School. Um, you know, this is children exposed to extremely high levels of pollution. Uh, um, and so we straight away implemented direct measurement on the streets and have, have diverted traffic and moved um, pavements, expanded pavements and, and created distance uh, from traffic to that school. And, and we've seen great results there. And I think we're, we're now at the sort of standards that are acceptable. I, th I think some people would be surprised that actually people live in the city, don't they? There are yeah. people who actually live here, like you say, there are schools here. It's you know we we think <coughs> that is normally just people come into an office and they go, but there is an actual community who lives here, Absolutely. and they're affected by things like the pollution and the general conditions of the environment. Absolutely, there are there are about seven thousand people that live here. Mm -hmm. um, there are five hundred thousand people that commute in every day to the city, and and we've worked really hard as a corporation to make sure that the travel infrastructure here accommodates that. So if you just look at the footfall at Liverpool Street Station, it's got a higher footfall than Heathrow Airport on an annual basis. So you've got vast numbers of people commuting in and out of this of, the, of this location. You've got to have the infrastructure to match. Um, so you know, I think we've got 11 tube stops and DLR stops in the in the city. Um, there's about six terminals in this area. We've got to make sure that network is 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 working, is viable uh, along the TfL, obviously. Um, to, to, to suit that growing need. Um, and as the city grows, we do envisage the city growing mm -hmm. over the next 10, 15, 20 years. <clears throat> We've got to make sure that infrastructure matches. So the, the sort of, you know, you've, you've talked about what you've been doing, you've been monitoring, you've been putting in changes. The criticisms, the protests, I mean, you can't speak for the city, but the general reaction amongst your friends and colleagues here, what was it to all of that stuff that was going on? So it was, it was really interesting. When you, when, and I'll talk about financial services yeah. as a sector and its reaction yeah. to, to those protests yeah. specifically, but also the general debate about climate change. Um, London has become the centre of green finance globally. Um, I think it was in 2018, there was over $100 billion of green bonds issued in London alone. Can you explain what that is? What is, what is green finance? What does it mean? And what's a, what's a green bond? So, so green finance um, is, is used as a generic term that covers um, financial instruments or, or financial solutions that have a, an element of sustainability about them or have an ESG uh, formula attached to them. Uh, green bonds are an instrument of debt that, that's, that's uh, created to fund uh, projects or vehicles. Um, that, that, that will then execute green projects. So if I want to build something like a green, I don't know, recycling plant or something, or I want to create some sort of solar panel thing, I could come here to the city and get some finance in that, and it would be seen as a green project as such. Exactly. There, there, are, there, are, there are tools, uh, financial tools, available um, through various institutions, through the banks, you know, the investment bank, banking community, that will, that will allow those projects to be realised. So you, you're doing that. You said it's the world leader. So when people are going, you're all against, you know, you're, you're polluting the, the earth, you're out there. What, what was the kind of feedback? So I, th I think there's, there's perceived 
um, there's perceived resistances. So actually, when you when you look at what's really going on, mm. you know, people like Larry Fink writing to his uh, CEOs and saying, you know, we want ESG to be at the centre of our future investment portfolio. You guys have got to adjust your businesses if you want to continue seeing funds coming in. Um, you know, directly talking about decarbonisation in that letter um, and, and explaining their future strategy for investment. So I think there's there's a misconception that the banking sector or the city is not green. I think it very much is green. I think actually the financial services sector, to my mind, is driving a lot of those projects and a lot of that technology through. Um, so we founded uh, the Green Finance Institute a couple of years ago. Uh, it's, in, it's a joint venture with the Majesty's Government and it's, <clears throat> it's there to bring together the financial community uh, to develop um, green finance initiatives and, and, and bring forward the debate as to what the future of green solutions will look like. The whole point of this platform, Future Net Zero, is to talk about, you know, the catch line, better business means better planet. And, and in, in a sense, that seems trite, but I do believe that's where it is, because without businesses changing what we buy, how we eat, how we travel, all of those things, you won't get to the net zero target. But that needs money as well. So is the city now seeing this not as a threat, but an opportunity? Is, is that where that thing, because you'd say, hang on, you guys have been financing coal, coal power for years or nuclear, and some people disagree with nuclear, or you've been financing kind of, you know, shipping, which can be seen as quite dirty, or aviation. Is there a change in, in now how this push towards us being renewable, cleaner, using less, actually is opportunity? Absolutely. And, and, and I think we operate in a free market economy. Right. So the market will fund the reality on the ground. And if the reality on the ground is building green projects, is, is looking at... Because we want it, the public want it. We want it, the, yeah. the consumers want it. That's where the money's going to flow. So that change in our service, in, in the financial services sector, is driven very much by need. You know, if there's money on the table, it's because there are projects out there that need that, that financing. The whole thing about divestment, we've heard a lot about that. You know, people protesting about um, institutions or even athletes. It's been you know, put out that, you know, Roger Federer was criticised because his relationship with a financial company that has some, you know, dirty kind of in, in investments. But this kind of divestment away, which has been happening over the last probably 10 years, away from fossil fuels and all that, how has the city seen that? Because, let's be honest, they are assets that make people money, mm. but there is now this thing about will people invest in them? So I'll speak from my business experience sure. on this side. Um, and and it's if you, if you look at where the greatest amount of research is taking place on green fuels, for example, it's actually within the oil sector ironically yeah. right um, if you look at a, a fossil fuel based uh, energy company they're absolutely aware yeah. that the future is going to lie in innovation and technology and they are going to have to continue to reconfigure themselves into this new world and so 
from, from a strategic perspective, for their own survival, they are taking on board the message very, very clearly. And I think you will see investment flowing back in as they decarbonize their own business and start to realize some of that technology and bring it to the bear to, to bear in the market. One big criticism has been that, you know, we had the green investment back on the domestic front. And, you know, the challenge has been how do you unlock this money? How do you see that the city preparing for that? Because if we start to have a ramp up, which always happens, once policy comes in, people go, right, this is the direction of travel, ramp up, ramp up, ramp up. There'll be more demand for cash. There'll be more demand for projects. How do you think that, the, the you know, as a financier yourself, but wider, what the, the way that the city will look on, you know, wh- which technologies they back, for example, or, or, or is this really the one we want to put our money in or do we put it across everywhere and how do we get it to us, the public, eventually to, to make a difference to our lives? So I, I think this is where government and policy really have to come in right. to their own. Um, and I take the example from the software sector of sandboxing and I think we've got to have a, uh, a government policy that allows innovation to succeed, that allows funding to be channeled into those R&D projects and into those startup energy companies, that allows them to go to go to uh, commercial trial, mm-hmm. allows industry to take up those technologies and for them to be realised. And some to fail as well. And some to fail as well, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's par for the course in, in, a, in a free market economy. So you're going to start to see some of those evolving into commercial successes. And I think the city, you know, the financial sector, is absolutely primed to, to take advantage of that. But, but without the right policy in place, it's never really going to take off. And that policy what, has to come from Treasury or does it come from government in general? Where, where do you see that? Is this a, a policy that you think, you know, the governments would say they've set the framework that we're going to. Obviously, at the time of we're recording this, we haven't had the budget yet, we have no idea. But you'd expect that there will be now some drivers towards getting us on this pathway. Um, are you saying they should be quite specific? Is that what you, you'd you look for? I, I think in terms of which department of government, I think it's got to be across the board. Um, you know, when we talk about climate change, we, we, we say, oh, well, this belongs to this department or this belongs to that department. You, well, that's you can't work in silos. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, you, when you're trying to tackle something as big and as, as influential as the climate, um, you've got to do it. You've got to have change across the board. You've got to have policy that is implemented across all divisions um, and cross-party as well. You know, I, I don't think the, the climate change is something that, that every single political party recognises as an issue. Um, in terms of how you go about setting that policy, mm. I think it really does come down to making sure that there are financial safeguards in place, yeah. that there is adequate R&D funding available, that there's adequate funding at university research level for innovators to come through. Yes. And then you've got to marry all of that up. So this doesn't, this doesn't uh, the buck doesn't stop with the banks, if you like. Actually, the, the feedstock for this has to come from the education sector. Finally, on this point, to sum up, if people are out there thinking, you know, I've got this idea of this uh, project that might help us or... The bit, the city is the message in the city is open for sort of this carbon neutral business. 
Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've we've been doing it, <coughs> and we will continue to do it. We see it as as an area of growth. Um, we're now seeing um, more of a drive towards uh, marrying the technology, the finance, and the policy. And, and that's what you need to realise projects. You need those three in sync to be able to realise a project, to de-risk a project. Um, if one of those three is out of kilter, you'll never quite be able to de-risk it. And, and that's the reality that we're now able to face. Before we end, just very briefly, you sit on many committees. What is the plan for the city? What's the, the city got a plan? Because obviously, if you, if you come around here, if anyone's been to London, it's full of vans and yeah. deliveries and things like that. <laughs> You've got a bigger plan about how to actually green or, or make the city itself on a pathway to net zero as well, haven't you? Yeah. So, so um, you know, there was a call to declare climate emergencies um, at a sort of government level. Um, we resisted that mm-hmm. um, on the basis that it didn't seem to be concrete in terms of what it meant to declare a climate emergency. It's just to say it, isn't it? But, yeah. So, so we, we, but we want to take it seriously, and, and we are taking it seriously. So what we did was we generated a climate action plan. Right. Um, the first phase of that plan is currently ongoing. It started already. Uh, that is data gathering. So our view is we want to understand what the impact, what, what impact we are having on the climate, right. what parts of the city, whether it's transport, non-transport, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's utilities, Waste, yeah. where, where yeah. is it that that, yeah. that climate footprint, the carbon footprint is coming from? <clears throat> At that point, we can then decide when, in terms of a time frame, we can achieve net zero. So we've got the data, you can then say, right, to get levels down to X, get net zero, will take X amount of time. Yeah. So that's the approach we're taking. Once you've got that time frame set in, you can then put an action plan in to say, right, this is going to have the biggest impact. This is going to have the most efficiency, uh, the, the most net efficiency um, in terms of energy use. And you can start building projects around that. Um, but we've, we've tried to take a, a fact-based and a responsible approach um, in our plan. And this is a, how many years is this plan for and what, is it ongoing? What, what's the idea with this thing? I don't think it'll stop. Right. You know, and, you know, this, this, so this is the first stage? Yeah, I, th- I think this is part of the problem is people think, right, we'll, we'll, we'll declare this emergency yeah. and then we'll assign budgets to it and then we so carry on, carry we'll on carry doing what we're doing. What we're doing yeah. um, I don't think this will stop. So we, we've, we've outlined the first couple of phases, mm-hmm. but for us, this is something that's ongoing. We've got a 25-year transport strategy in the city that we developed in the last few years um, that has at its core uh, the pedestrianisation and ease of cycling and and public transport at its heart. The public realm is going to change dramatically in the next 25 years. So, so we don't see this as a as a as a fixed-term plan. We see it as an ongoing behavioural change. And of course, one other thing that you know we ought to touch on is computing. This place probably has more processors than anywhere else in, in, in the country, and they're all chugging away, using lots of energy. Your plan, is it looking at that, not just at transport? Is it more holistic, uh, kind of the things that are in the offices as well? Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, if you look at, if you look at peak demand uh, around London, the, the city is, is, is right up there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and rightly so. There, yeah. There's a huge concentration of commerce um, linked to a huge 
uh, energy it's the consumption. Finance engine, yeah, um, we've got two plans on this, two tracks. One is our own government buildings as a city corporation, right. and we have already implemented a plan to ensure that all power supplied to those buildings is from a, a, a renewable source. Okay. Um, there's a second plan which is around the city generic. Um, and we are talking to the utility providers around what sort of solutions there can be, what sort of smart solutions there are out there in the market that will allow us to better control, better monitor energy usage um, and how to manage loading better. Mm. Um, so, so that, you know, if, if you look at the streetlights, for example, um, we did a project a couple of years ago where we replaced every single one of our streetlights with LED. And we reduced our consumption massively. Yeah, of course, yeah. um, it also gave us better control. Mm. So from a security perspective, it gave us huge amounts of control in controlling light intensity, timing of lights, the temperature of lights, what sort of atmosphere it created, um, a huge, huge amount of control at a reduced cost and a reduced carbon footprint. So it's a win-win if you get the, the strategy right. Finally, your personal view on all this, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you've lived in the city for many years, you, you're London, I assume you're London, mm -hmm. but you know, how do you see what the world will be? Because at the end of all of this, it is about economics. These are in, intrinsically linked. Yeah. You know, what we do will be driving an economy, which we hope will be an, a net zero economy in the future. What's your personal view? My personal view is, is that at the end of the day, commercial success isn't separate from achieving net zero. There is a solution out there, and business is, the mo is one of the most flexible instruments out there that can adapt quickly. And, and we've seen it with, with when you see things like Brexit, for example. Mm -hmm. Businesses are waiting, they're keen to see um, a steady policy coming through, a change in policy, but a steady policy coming through, so they can adapt to that. So they're ready to adapt, they're willing to adapt. So if we can get um, definition around what net zero means in reality and get policy and technology in the right place, businesses will adapt and you can achieve commercial success. Um, and I think more and more companies are waking up to that. I think more and more boards are aware of that. Um, you've got to get the entire supply chain bought in and, and there are corporations working on that basis. And so I, th I think that's the future. And thank you for supporting, uh, you know, talking to us. What do you think about this venture, what we're trying to do? Are we on the right track? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are a lot of different voices saying the same thing. And I think it's really valuable to have one stream that allows commerce, allows government, allows infrastructure players, policy players, um, influences to gather and create one sound because it's that unified sound that will actually resonate um, and drive behavior change thank you very much for your time very welcome thanks for listening to this future net zero podcast please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com future net zero better business better planet